Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. Last week we, uh, we saw, we've been going through this study still, uh, of the life of Joseph, and we saw in chapter 39 uh, something happened to him even worse, and so that is... Verse 21, what we saw was this, the Lord was with Joseph, showed him mercy, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord is with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. What we've seen in Joseph's life so far is that he's gone from bad to worse. Uh, we look at Joseph's life, and even though there's some good things happening in his life, his circumstances were really still bad. Uh, they hadn't gotten better. Uh, uh, there were some um, experiences that he had that in the circumstance was better than what could be expected, but he was still a prisoner. Uh, he was still a slave, and now he is, uh, God is still with him, still blessing him. And the key to all of this has been that he's remained being the person who God had called him to be. God had called all of his people to be. And uh, the blessings would come, even though he would take blow after blow after blow to his circumstances, God's hand would still remain on Joseph. Um, He seemed to take this hit uh, at the wrong time, right? I mean, everything seemed to be good, and then the the, the hit comes, and the circumstances uh, seemed to darken. But what we saw last week is that regardless of how dark his circumstances got, no matter what dungeon he found himself in, God's grace and mercy was still there. That didn't change anything about God's grace and mercy. And sometimes I think that we forget about that. We go through bad circumstances, we experience bad things, and we forget that it doesn't change the fact that God's mercy and grace is still as real and as present as before we were in those circumstances. First thing that we saw last week was that you can't control what others say or do. Uh, That was the life point. Uh, We saw with Potiphar's wife, she had tried to manipulate, she had tried to uh, trap, she had tried to entice, she tried everything that she could do. She threw out all, she pulled all the punches, you know, she didn't hold any punches back uh, as far as trying to get Joseph uh, to be a part of what she wanted, which was to cause him to sin. And Joseph wasn't having any part of it. Finally, her last attempt was to fabricate this lie that he actually assaulted her, and she told that to even her husband. That's what caused him to go to prison. But the second life point was this. Is now that we saw that he's been in prison, the life point was this. It's important to never forget that God's mercy is unfailing and his grace is amazing. Like I said, it's, it's present, but let's not forget that when you're going through something bad, his mercy is still unfailing, and his grace is still amazing. Again, it does, nothing changes that. When we view our lives and the good gifts that God gives to us as from God, that we only deserve judgment and anything good we get, again, is a blessing of God, then I believe that's when we can keep that view of mercy and grace that we're supposed to have, even in the most dire circumstances. I don't think that we can not only see it like that, but we can experience it like that. Maybe you're going through something right now. Maybe you've gone through something to where you say, uh, I just don't see that. I don't see that. I don't experience that. Everything is just bad. 
I don't see any grace. I don't see any mercy. I don't see any good. I don't see anything like that. All I see is everything seems to be bad right now. Um, then view your life the way that it really is. And that is a complete gift of God's grace and mercy. We deserve nothing but judgment. And again, that's what we saw last week. So God has been with Joseph every step of the way. And uh, Joseph has tried to be the person that God's called him to be. And now he's been entrusted to oversee the prison that he is a prisoner of. It's not that he's been made, uh, okay, now you're no longer a prisoner. He's still a prisoner. But in the prison, as a prisoner, I want, that, that has to resonate with us. In the prison, as a prisoner, he was still who God called him to be. And it was there, being who God called him to be, that God entrusted him, even in the prison, even as a prisoner. That's, that's something I think that we lose sight of. What, again, and we'll talk a little, bit about, a little bit more about it this morning, but we go through things and, and all we see is our circumstances. All we see is the negative. All we see is, is the pain, the, 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 the problem. That's all we see. And what Joseph was is who God called him to be. And God said, you know what? I'm going to entrust you with more. Even though your circumstances haven't changed, even though the problem still remains, even though you're still in a dark dungeon, I'm going to entrust you with more. I wonder how many of us miss those opportunities of God wanting to entrust us with more because, first of all, we're not who God wants us to be. Second of all, we're not looking at that or looking for that. We're only looking to the problems. We're only letting those things control us. And so this morning, I want to see what else we can glean from the life of Joseph as we move into chapter 40. So um, let's pray, and we'll do that. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, your power and your presence, Lord. Uh, we know that the enemy is alive and working and active, and he is not uh, willing to set, set by. He's not willing to set aside. He's not willing to stop his pursuit of destruction, of death. He, he is uh, looking to stop everything that you're doing, and, and we can see it even in our church. God, there's, it seems to be attack after attack after attack. Lord, there seems to be trial after trial after trial. It seems that the enemy seems to, to, to throw out anything and everything he can to stop what you're doing in this place and through this, through this body. And God, by, by your grace, I pray that we would stand firm in the faith. God, that we would not waver, that we would not falter, but that we would stand fast. God, that we would hold tight to your word, that we'd hold tight to you, that we would, we would be who you've called us to be, just as we see in our study in Joseph. God, we know that you give us the victory. We know that the victory is already ours. We know that we overcome because you've already overcome. Well, we, we know it, and so I pray in the moments where things are difficult, in the moments that the attacks are real or heightened, that we would hold fast again to your word, stand firm on your truth, and not waver at all. Lord, this morning I pray that you would teach us what you want us to learn. I pray that those of us who have ears to hear, that we would hear what the Spirit has to say. Lord, that have eyes to see, that we would see what you want us to see. God, if there's somebody this morning that has never trusted you, they've walked into this place and, and they're spiritually empty, they're spiritually dead. They're in darkness. They're searching for answers. They're not quite sure what happens to them after, the, after death. I pray today that they would see your love. They would see your grace. 
they would hear the gospel, the good news. And they would turn their life over to you and experience a new life in Christ. Or they'd experience the new birth and they would be taken from that life of death and be given eternal life for, uh, by you. Just use me as a vessel or accomplish this morning what glorifies you and accomplish that alone. We'll praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 40. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. And uh, verse 1 is where we'll pick up. And it came to pass after these things that the butler, king of Egypt, uh, of the king of Egypt, and his baker had offended the, their lord, the king of Egypt. So now we have a few different characters introduced into our story that we've been uh, studying. And many of you are familiar with this story. Some of you aren't. Uh, but this is what's happened. Again, Joseph has been thrown into prison. He's been lied against. The, his, the, the general of all of Egypt had entrusted Joseph with everything. And that general's wife, the general's name is Potiphar, his wife is, is the one that we talked about a while ago who made up a lie about Joseph that Joseph tried to assault her when he didn't. That was the cause of Joseph being put in prison. Joseph, just as we saw, has been faithful to God and God has entrusted him now with being head over all of the prison in Egypt. And now we see two other people. The butler of Pharaoh, the king over all of Egypt, and the baker, his personal baker and his personal servant, his personal butler, are in prison too. What an interesting thing. Well, what's going on? Is, 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 is something happening in Egypt? Let's see what happens. Pharaoh was wroth. This is, this is how they got in prison. Wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. So they obviously did something wrong. They uh, overcooked his grits. They, they, uh, they spilled some hot sauce on him or, or what. Something happened uh, in, in this, and they were thrown into prison. He was mad. He was not just unhappy. He was wroth. He was beyond mad. So he puts them in the ward of the house of the captain of the guard. So they enter prison, into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. The captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. And they continued a season in the ward. Which is such an interesting thing to me, right? Okay, I don't know if you caught this, but it says that the butler and the baker were thrown into prison, the same place that Joseph was. Now what was Joseph's job at this point in time? He was over the, the, the prison, right? The Bible says that. That the, the, chief, the, the, the captain of the guard, the, the warden, if you will, had made Joseph the head over all of the prison. And now the butler and the baker, not the assistant general, not the, um, uh, not the captain of the farms. These, these were, now, they were the captain of the butlers and they were the captain of the baker. They were the head butler, the head servant, and the head baker. These guys, while they had positions, it wasn't like that they were uh, prominent in, in, in what we would consider. They had prominent positions, but they weren't prominent. They're thrown into prison where Joseph is overseeing. But if you noticed, in verse 4, it says, and he served them. These two guys were servants. They were, baker, they were a baker and a butler. One was the head servant. And yet Joseph, as the leader there, was serving them. I think it is very indicative of the character of Joseph yet again. And it's this. Our life point number one is this. Maintaining a servant's heart is vital in all circumstances of life. 
Maintaining a servant's heart is vital for in every circumstance of life. In all the circumstances of life, every circumstance of life, maintaining a servant's heart is vital. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 tells us about our Lord. It says, Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles, the lords of the Gentiles, exercise dominion over them. They, they lord over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. It's, it's not, it's, so what Pharaoh did with his butler and his baker was lording his authority over them. And, and that's not what it is. Joseph shows us a picture of what it is to be a leader and what it, do, what it means to be a servant of God, being faithful to God. It's this. He says the Gentiles have an idea of what authority is and, and how to handle that authority. But he says, I don't want that to be among you, my followers, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your servant. Let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, it says that we've been given liberty, but we're not supposed to use our liberty for a, a, a reason to please the flesh or an occasion to please the flesh. But we're supposed to use our liberty in love to serve one another. To serve one another. Circumstances don't change our call in Christ to fulfill God's will. They don't, they don't alter what God has called us to. Bless you. Circumstances, just because they get bad, doesn't change what we are supposed to, who we're supposed to be or what we're supposed to do. But the question this morning is, how many times do we let them? How many times do you let circumstances that come against you and your family, come against you personally, come against the church or come against your ministry, how many times do we allow circumstances to change how we serve or who we are as a servant of the Lord? And I, I would say in, in today's convenient, comfortable Christianity, there are so many of us that can be guilty of allowing circumstances to change the call that we have in Christ. Well, I just, I don't, I'm not feeling good. We're, we're, I'm, just, I'm not talking about sickness. I just don't feel like it. Or, or ever since this has happened, this has changed. Or, or, or we're dealing with this right now or, or whatever. I mean, we have all these things that we say with our, that have to do with our circumstances. It doesn't change the call. It doesn't change the word of God. It doesn't change our, our standing in Christ. None of the circumstances have anything to do with who we're supposed to be in Christ and what we're supposed to be doing for the Lord to accomplish his will. Now, with all of this, I don't want to, please don't misconstrue. I'm not talking about things that providentially hinder us. If you have, if your circumstances have been to a place where you are incapacitated and you can't serve the way that you once did, or, or if your circumstances are in a way that you're so sick, or, or I'm not talking about things that providentially hinder us from being who, uh, doing what God's called us to do. I'm talking about when we make that decision based on our circumstances that we're not going to do what God's called us to do or be who God's called us to be. That's what I'm talking about. Sometimes we figure how that we will serve the Lord based on our circumstance. That's how, we'll, that's how, we'll, that's how I'll serve God. Is it, 
Does it work out for me? Does it work into my schedule? Does it, does it fit into what I want, my plan, my life? That's how we look at serving God sometimes. We, 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 you know what, I'll do this because I have this opportunity. Beyond that, not just based on our circumstances, but beyond that, sometimes we base our servanthood on how we feel in and through our circumstances, right? Sometimes we can serve God with joy. Sometimes we're so excited about serving God. Sometimes we, we just can't wait to, uh, to, to volunteer and to help and to do these things. And, and, and the reason why is everything seems to be good and going well in our life. We feel good. Our health is well. Our family's fine. Our finances are good. Our relationships are wonderful. Hey, we're getting along with people. We have friends. We feel good. Everything in our life, our circle, job's going well. Everything seems to be okay, and so now I feel good, and now I'm willing to serve. Sometimes we can be guilty of basing our servanthood on how we feel in and through our circumstances. But the concern that this has is this. When we make our feelings when we make our circumstances those things that control that ultimately we make them the lord over our lives when we say i i will only serve if my circumstances are the way that i want them now we've made our circumstances our lord if if we only serve when, when our circumstances are really good, when everything is wonderful in our life, and now, now I'll be the servant who God's called me to be. Now I'll be a faithful servant. Now I'll be faithful to what God has entrusted to me. Now I'll be faithful with, with, with the blessings that God's given. When I feel like it, when everything's good, and I feel up to it, if that's how we serve God, now we've made our feelings the Lord over our lives. See, when we allow our circumstances or our feelings to dictate what we will or what we won't do for the Lord, we've exalted their influence above the Holy Spirit's. We've exalted our feelings and our circumstances' influence over even the Word of God. You get that? If, if, if I only serve, or if I'm only faithful to serve God, or if I'm only faithful to God when I'm feeling good about it, that has more influence than the Holy Spirit's prompting in my life. My feelings do. I've exhausted my feelings. If my circumstances have to be ideal, if my circumstances, if, if serving God has to fit into my schedule, the schedule that I formed in this temporal world, if, if serving God has to do with my circumstances, then what I have done is I have said, I know that God has said something about who I am and what I'm supposed to do. I know that Jesus came and lived a life of, of, of an example of what, that, what he's called me to do. I know all those things are in God's word, but regardless of what God's word says, I'm going to exalt my circumstances and they are going to be the thing that dictates whether I will serve or whether I will be faithful to God. So ultimately, what does that say about our relationship with Christ? 
If, we are, if we're saying we're born-again believers in Jesus Christ, it doesn't, it, listen, it's not about just believing that he came and he died on a cross and he rose from the dead. The Bible says that the demons believe and they tremble. It's not, it's not just about having some type of idea that I know the Bible says this and versus everything else in the world that I could believe, I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. It's not just about that. They say, whoa, 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 you're, that's, that's not true. It, the Bible says it's believe only. It does say believe only. It says by grace through faith are you saved. And that not of works, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. Yes, it does say that. But I think that we have a way misunderstood perspective on what faith and belief is. Because the Bible says the demons believe and they tremble. That's a real belief. That they know Christ died. They, they were witnesses. They, they've been around from, from, from the time that they were created. They know Jesus died. They know Jesus rose again. They know all of these things. There's no doubt in the demons' minds. So, so do you believe that Jesus died and rose again uh, from the grave uh, without a shadow of a doubt? Absolutely. Well, so do the demons. What's the difference? What's the difference between a demon who believes it so much that they tremble and a human who can be saved and redeemed and be a born-again child of God? What's the difference? What's the belief? What's the, what's the difference in that type of faith? What's the, what's the difference in the fact that they are eternally condemned and that we can be eternally redeemed, that we can be eternal, have eternal life? What's the difference? The difference is the demons have surrendered their lives to Satan. They follow him. They serve him. That, that's, the, that's the life that the demons had, had chose. At one point in time when Satan had his rebellion, he took with him a portion of the angels, which are, are the demons, his servants now, and they minister to his plan, to his program. Those demons, they believe and they tremble, but they do not, they have not surrendered their life to Christ, to God. They have not chosen to serve him. God has his angels still that serve him, that are, have 100% allegiance to him. So for us today, the difference between the demons who are following Satan, who believe and tremble, and, 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 and those of us who can be saved and on our way to heaven when we die, is that, that belief and faith is an actual surrender. A surrender that follows. A surrender that is a, a not, a surrender that doesn't put the hand to the plow and looks back. A surrender that keeps the hand to the plow and moves forward. A surrender that, that says, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Again, we, we, we try to make it something that it's not. But listen, if we say that I will only follow Christ faithfully, I will only serve Christ faithfully if my circumstances are good, we make our circumstances the Lord of our life. I'll only do it and I'll only serve him. I'll only follow him. I'll only do that if I feel like doing it. Then we've made ourselves ultimately the Lord of our lives. So in doing this, we say, there is a Lord that exists who is greater than Jesus. 
in, his, in, in that Lord's name is my feelings. Or that Lord's name are my circumstances. If, if that's how we operate, if that's how we serve the Lord, if that's how we serve our King, if that's how we, if that's how we are faithful to, to Him, is that it depends on how we feel or if it works into our schedule. If that's how we are, then, then let's stop calling Him our King. Let's stop calling Him our Lord. Let's stop saying that He is Lord of all because He's not. What really is or who really is is our feelings. So let's just be honest. Let's not make Christ or, or pretend, say that he's something that he really isn't. See, if Christ is Lord in our lives, if he's Lord over our lives, then he is Lord in every circumstance. Then he is Lord in every feeling. He is Lord in every emotion. He is Lord in everything that we either have or don't have. Well, I, I feel good or I don't feel good. He's still Lord. I, everything's wonderful. Everything's horrible. He's still Lord. I am still faithful. I still serve him. Again, when we look at, at Joseph, it wasn't that his circumstances were ideal. It wasn't that he felt like it. He, again, he, he's going to talk to the, the, the butler and he's going to say, listen, when you, when you get back, remember me. We'll see what happens in just a second. But our view of Christ as Lord is essential, and it must be absolute. He has to be Lord absolutely, regardless of our circumstances or emotions, if we're going to maintain the right heart of servanthood to our Lord. Christ's servanthood took him to death. Philippians chapter 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Paul's talking to the Philippian believers. He said, listen, if there's any of these things, then, then fulfill my joy. And here's how you can do it. Having this, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind, be together, be unified. That's what it's going to take. And do nothing from selfish ambition. Don't be motivated by your, your own desires or your own will. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. It's our theme verse for this year. Others over self. Make, make others more important. Take on that mind of a servant. And that's what he says. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Have this mind of others over self among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, here's what it is, Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Listen, he was God in the flesh. Look what he did. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. That is our Lord. Our Lord said, I'm going to show you what it looks like. I'm going to show you what servanthood looks like. The Bible says that he humbled himself and he came in a servant form. And that's like we read a while ago in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, that he came to serve, not to be served. He set the example before us to say, listen, you are my servants. You, 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 we have the privilege of serving God. It's not something that we are entitled to. It's a privilege in his grace to serve him. It's a privilege to, to be faithful to him. I think sometimes, again, we have this misunderstanding about serving God and servanthood. Servanthood has everything to do with a couple of things, several things, but I think a couple of things importantly. Number one, 
submission to God. Servanthood has to do with submission to God. In Romans chapter 6, verse 15, What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Paul says, God forbid. Just because grace abounds where sin abounds doesn't mean that we just go on sinning. Absolutely not. He says, Know you not that whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Again, that goes back to what I was saying a while ago. If we allow our feelings, if we allow our circumstances to be the one that says, you don't have time for that. You don't need to do that. Somebody else can do that. You don't have to be there all the time. Again, if we allow circumstances or our feelings or our own thing, he says this, whoever you yield yourself servants to obey, that's whose servants you are. So it's our feelings, it's our circumstances, it's our own thoughts, it's other people. Who are we making ourselves servants to? But look what he says. But God bethink that you were the servants that used to serve sin, but you've obeyed from the, uh, from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you, being then made free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. The second thing is obedience to God. Servanthood has to do with submission to God and obedience to God. Verse 16, back in Romans 6, again, that whom you yield yourself servants to obey his servants, you are whom you obey. I, I want us to think how easy we make it for the enemy of God. How, how easy do we make it on Satan? Uh, think about this this morning. How easy do we make it for him to derail the movement in the kingdom of God? So, I don't know. Well, here, here's how easy it is. When Satan can distract, when Satan can discourage, when Satan can depress the servants to actually serve, by making their circumstances less than ideal or less than pleasant, then it makes his job super easy. Listen, all I got to do is get them preoccupied. All I've got to do is distract them with difficulties in their life. All I've got to do is put some roadblocks to where their, their feelings begin to, they, they begin to get discouraged a little bit and they won't look back to the Lord. All I've got to do is, is do these things in their life and then they stop serving. I mean, I just got to make their circumstances a little uncomfortable, especially these American Christians. Man, I, all I got to do is, is make things uh, uh, less than ideal, and all of a sudden, they just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm stopping, I'm quitting, we're, we're not going to go for what we're going to They pull off so quick. Satan's like, man, this is easier. You know what's harder? It's harder to go over to places like China where they're closing churches down, and they will not stop meeting. They, 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 their circumstances are miserable. Their persecution is so high. They have no comfort in their faith. They have to actually walk and live by faith. And it seems like everything I try to do to make it harder on them in China, they keep pressing on. But man, I got to go to America. I just take a dollar an hour away. Or I just, you know, get... Do, do something to where their, their comfort level is just a little less. And all of a sudden, uh, we're, we're, we're just taking a break. Whoa. If that's all he has to do, then we make it easy for him. And we've got some other stuff to do. 
I'm just wondering if that's how the believers in China who are desperate to, to, to just worship their God and to read their Bible. I was reading this morning uh, an article on another church in, in China shut down. Believers, our brothers and sisters, another church shut down. And you know what they've done? They begin to confiscate Bibles. You know what they're doing that for? Is they're trying to reinterpret the Bible so that it fits into the Communist Party being more important than God. That's their objective. That's their agenda. It's very clear. Hey, you can have your church as long as it is, fits under the autonomy of the Communist Party. And then what do we do? We, we just kind of, we just kind of take gathering and, and the Word of God and, and, and serving God and telling other people just at our convenience sometimes. I'm not saying all of us. We look at serving God as, does it, does it work for me? Does it work in my life? Is everything wonderful? Satan's like, man, this is easy. Go to some of these other places where Christians are really contending for the faith, where they're really pressing towards the mark. That's where the battle's hard. The battle here is just take a little of the comfort away. Take a little of the, make the circumstances a little darker. Can you imagine what it would look like for us today if the church that came before us the generation before us served only on pleasant conditions. What about the church that came to America in the first place? What if they served only whenever their conditions were ideal? What would it look like for us today? I don't even know if, 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 if we would be like this. Can you imagine what it would look like for the future church? If the church... Let's just say of Trinity Baptist Temple in 2019 chooses only to serve God based on our preference or on our ideal circumstances. What does it look like for these kids in their church? The grandkids. What does it look like for that church? Is if us as adults, grandparents and parents serve or are faithful to God only as it's convenient to us. May we not rob future generations by our shallow servanthood. May we be the servants of Christ, unshaken by circumstances. May we, may we serve the Lord with gladness. May we be a 1 Corinthians 15, 58 church. Finally, my brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know as that labor is not in vain, in the Lord. May we be that type of church. May we say, you know what? Look, my circumstances may get really bad like Joseph's. My, I, it, may real get, it may get real ugly and real dark and real lonely and, 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 and it may look really dire and, and I may go from prison to, to, to even a darker prison, but it never changes who I am in Christ. It never changes who he's called me to be and what he's called me to do. It, just because I don't feel like it doesn't change what he has said. Just because I, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time or I'm discouraged or I'm down or depressed and I'm not trying to minimize any of those real emotions. But listen, the scripture never tells us that those are any reasons 
or any, valid, uh, any validation to excuse us from being faithful to him who called us. Never. I wish I could. I wish I could have a soft message and, 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 and make it easy and, and fluffy and comfortable for all of us. But Jesus never said that. Jesus said, if you want to follow me and you want to be a part of me and you want eternal life, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And you know what happened? The multitudes that were like, oh, we love all these miracles and we, we want to see our people. This is amazing. What an amazing show. We've got these amazing things going all around us. When he said, listen, it's got to be all of me or nothing. The Bible says that many went away from that time forward. Many of them walked away and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're talking about consuming? Look, we just like the show. We thought just by hanging out with you that, that we get all the benefits. And we thought just by, by hanging around your followers that, that, hey, we're a part of it too. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You, it's all consuming. All consuming. And when he said that, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And John and many of the multitudes walked away. You know, he turned around and he looked at his followers, his disciples. And you know what he said to them? Will you also go away? I think it's John 6, 67 or something like that. He looks and he looks at his followers who had, when he said, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And they left everything, the Bible says, to follow him. At this point in time, when he reiterates, it's, it's an all or nothing. It's an all-consuming thing. It's, it's all of your life, all of the time. You, you are going to be following me, trusting me, doing my will all of the time. When he reiterated that to that crowd, and many of them went away, he tested his followers again and said, do you understand what I'm saying? Are you going to leave too? Because he would eventually say, look, I'm going to die. And in this life, you're going to have tribulation too. And if you choose to live godly, you'll suffer persecution. It's not an easy road. When we talk about living this life, uh, this Christian life, listen, Charlie, I'm going to close. It's not easy. If somebody told you that being a Christian is easy, they lied to you. It, it's not. It, it's, it's easy to become a Christian. There's nothing you have to do. It's a gift. It's, a, it, it's free. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You, and once you get it, you can't lose it. I mean, it, it's all those things. It's childlike faith. To get it, it's easy. But let's not forget that it is. There is a price. There is a cost. And Jesus would say, count it. Count that cost. Because it's all or nothing. This morning, I pray that you're challenged in just this first point. I pray that we would look at our lives and say, maybe I have been an anti-Joseph. See, Joseph was faithful to God even when he probably didn't feel like it. Think about this. He, he had just been lied about. He had just been manipulated. He had just been framed. He had just been taken advantage of. And he gets thrown in prison for it. What was he doing before that? 
Remember what he was doing. He was making the right decisions. When she says, hey, come lie with me, he was saying no. He was doing what was right. He was being who God called him to be. He was serving and faithful to the Lord. And with those things, it gets worse for him. There's no doubt he was human. And he had a thought at some point, whether it was uh, as close to this or not, no doubt he had this thought, this is not good. <laughs> or this is bad. Or I don't like this. Or whatever. Maybe not. Maybe he didn't go that route. Maybe, maybe he didn't. Maybe he had the type of faith that even the Apostle Paul would say, man, did I get to experience the persecution that my Lord experienced for my redemption? How blessed am I? Maybe he was like that. Regardless, we don't see Joseph allowing his feelings or his emotions or his circumstances to control who he, was in, who he was in the Lord or what he did for the Lord. What we see is a man who was committed to still be a servant, to serve others, to make others more important than themselves. He, he could have seen these guys walk in and said, these guys are servants. I'm over the prison. I'm not going to do anything. You guys need to serve me. He could have taken on that, but he didn't. It says that when they came to the prison, Joseph's heart was to serve. And he served them. I just want to challenge us this morning. Don't, let's not allow our feelings or circumstances to be Lord in our life. And this morning, if you, if you found any resemblance of that in your life, I want to challenge you to come this morning. Kneel at this altar. Pray in your seat. Ask God, to, if, you, if you know that you're a child of God, and you know that you're saved and you're on your way to heaven, you know that you've surrendered your life to Christ, you know that you followed him, you know, but maybe you've come to a point in your life where your faith has, has wavered a little bit. And maybe you're at that place where, where you're allowing circumstances to tell you whether you're going to serve or be faithful to God or not. Maybe you've come to a place in your life where you've allowed your feelings or your emotions to be the things that decide whether you be faithful to serve God. And if that's you, and you say, yes, I know I'm saved. I'm just in a rough place right now. I'm just going through a difficult time right now, and, and, and I'm doing that. I'm allowing my feelings to, to, to be the Lord in my life. I'm allowing my circumstances to be the Lord. If that's you, I encourage you. Talk to the Lord about that today. Change that, because you're missing the point of it all, of a relationship with him. But as I said a while ago, if you're here, and you're not quite sure that you're going to heaven when you die, or maybe you're here and you say, when I got saved, nobody said that to me. All they said was pray a prayer and I'd go to heaven. I, I, do, I didn't know about that surrender and that trust and about following him. I didn't know that. But I, I'm begging you. Listen, that prayer does not save you. If you prayed a prayer and you thought that saved you, it did not save you. Nowhere in scripture do you read that. Nowhere. If you thought that that uh, being sincere in your heart and, and joining a church uh, and, and, and trying to, to go to as many church services as possible and, and be a good Christian was, was going to be good enough and God would see that and say, you know what, when you get there, I'll let you into heaven. If you thought that, you're wrong. That's not salvation. Salvation is an absolute trusting, an absolute handing over of your life to God. 
it's, it's no, I, we sang it a while ago, I have decided once and for all to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. He is my God. He is my Lord. I trust him as my Savior, that his death on the cross was sufficient, that his blood covers every sin that I've committed and will ever commit. I believe that he is God and that he rose again and that death has no victory over him, but that he has victory over death. I believe that, that he is the only way, he is the only truth, and he is the only life possible. I believe it from the very bottom, from the very outer, all inner, every part of me, I trust it wholeheartedly so that I give myself to him. That is the only way to salvation. It's to surrender your life. The Bible says that when it happens, that you are bought with a price and you're no longer your own. And so if you've never done that before, I'm begging you, don't leave this place with trusting on a prayer. Don't leave this place trusting on a church membership. Don't leave this place trusting on a family experience or a, 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 some type of uh, out-of-body experience. Don't, it's only by faith, the faith of the Bible, by grace. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this message this morning. Lord, you have challenged me with this over and over and over this week. So many times we can allow circumstances to be the Lord in our life, to, to tell us whether we're going to serve or we're not going to serve, we're going to be faithful or not faithful. Or sometimes we can allow our feelings to trump our faithfulness as well. And I believe that you spoke to us this morning as a church through your word, through this message. Again, I know you spoke to me, and Lord, I never want to allow a circumstance or a feeling to have any authority over your word or your spirit. God, my feelings come and go. Circumstances get good and they get bad, but your word stays the same. You stay the same. And so God, help me, help us, trust you at all times. Help us to remain faithful. Help us to remain faithful servants because of who you are and what you've called us to. And again, if there's somebody here, Lord, that's not saved, they've never experienced a life change because of Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's somebody here that if they were to die, they're not sure they'd go to heaven, I pray that they would move during this invitation. They'd come down front here and they'd ask one of our ministers, I need to know what he's talking about. I need to know for sure that I'm going to heaven when I die. I pray that they would do that. And we'll praise you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen.